now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore the amazing worlds that TriTech has built, and we try to find new and better ways to bring the awesome into your game. This week, we're talking about solo play, or specifically, how to play a single character in a campaign, how to make those adventures successful. The first question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we get in this situation? Because we've been advocating all along that the best thing is to have good team play and good interactions and how to give everybody their spotlight. And now we're talking about having only a GM and a single player. In Bureau 13, where would you see a lone agent come in besides J.P. Withers? (laughs) I mentioned before, if you were a vampire. Ah, yeah, you got that, yeah. Or if you were somebody who you just could not accept anybody being over you. You, know, you you wouldn't submit to any kind of authority, but they, you'd be willing to accept missions. So they'd say, well, all right, you're competent in these areas and we'll send you missions that make use of that. It's not a perfect situation, but if you have a single player who wants to play a character and you don't want to spend half your time having NPCs talking to each other, the player waiting for a chance to actually do something, then you, know, you have to run an adventure where the, only that player is necessary. We also may want to play a higher level character who's a troubleshooter. You know, his job is to go in to fix things. Or you could be one of Mike Bonkowski's uh, OSHA agents out there in the field dealing with those situations. Right. Well, when I looked at Bureau 13, other than falling back again to the dedicated uh, as a basis for the, cl- uh, for the character, I thought, well, if I was playing a, a, a psionicist, someone who had both telepathy and telekinesis, mm-hmm. then that would really give me a big edge because I could actually read people's minds and get the information I needed without having to have great skills in interrogation and bluff and all those other things like that. Uh, and telekinesis would allow me to do things like reach around the door and open a lock and being able to possibly even fly yourself so you wouldn't have to have those climbing skills yep, or yep. swimming skills or uh, uh, any number of skills that telekinesis could compensate for. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't have to have that feat, various types of armor, light, medium, and heavy armor if you could throw up a telekinetic shield around you that stopped bullets. Mm, yeah. If you had that kind of a character, I think that would probably be a a pretty good one. Or if it, we've mentioned before, the re- main reason to play a supernatural creature in Bureau 13 is because of their immunities. So if you're a vampire mm-hmm. or a werewolf, people fire bullets at you and they don't really hurt you. They hit you with swords and as long as they're not silver in the case of a, a werewolf, it might hurt for a second, but you just shake it off. Poison gases won't affect them. Poison itself won't affect them. You know, poison drink and food. You might not even have to eat normal things, so you wouldn't have to worry about that. <laughs> I, of course, there's always going to be a situation where you're going to end up, you know, really in a bad situation. That's okay. I'm just saying is that when I was thinking about the class, I said, well, if I was somebody who had this, I would probably have a pretty good edge without knowing yeah. anything more than the, spe- you know, anything specific about what kind of missions that you'd be going on. The GM has work to do, because if you're going to be running a character that is investigative and you want to run a campaign that is combat heavy, you're going to have a problem. The GM has to tailor the campaign. 
let's say the, the, the player wants to play a hacker and you want to run a campaign which it's not a lot of net running, it's the, to use cyberpunk parlance, intrusion type where you are a guy to go in and get people out. If you're the net runner, that's not going to work. The GM has to be able to tailor the campaign to that one character. So you can play very finite campaigns, but the GM has to tailor make it, I guess, for that particular player. Like when I ran the solo campaign with my girlfriend, she was at heart science and tech. Combat to her, and she role-played it like this and did it well. I got to fight? I got to learn how to use weapons and, and put on armor and do... what? Whoa, wait a minute, hold it. I like computers and chemistry, and I got to pick up a gun? You know, and so it was... She had to learn how to get into that, and it was a part of the progression of the campaign. But you still had to sit there and I, I, yeah, I tailor made it where that when Bruce talks about spotlighting the character, obviously solo campaign is the epitome of putting the spotlight on a character, but also in order to more well round the character, the, the character Stella Green had to, you know, because it was a Bureau 13 campaign, fine. The, the banger main training where she was got the extra feats to allow for combat, both personal and firearm and melee weapon. And there were times where she had to bring those skills to bear. And both the character and the player had was was very hesitant about, oh, I'm not good at this combat and just, oh man, I'm getting, you know, these they're wiping the floor with me. And throughout the campaign she got better and better until finally she really shined. And that's just for the GM has in a solo campaign. There's work that he has to do as well. He has to make sure that everything fits correctly, because if not, it's going to be a real short campaign, either because the character is going to die or the player is just going to be like, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> if you're that kind of a character where you're not a combat heavy character, then you have to start thinking about what kind of of equipment loadouts, what kind of tactics can I use to make it so I don't have to be in that situation? So someone who's a hacker might say, okay, well, I need to go and make sure I can take over the controls for all the doors in this building. So when the bad guys start coming for me, I start locking doors between me and them. Yeah. I start creating a safe path for me to travel while you know they're trying to bust down doors. I'm walking through three or four and staying ahead of them the whole way. Yeah. Or, or I have to say, what kind of skills or what kind of equipment can I use that won't require me to have a big, you know, to hit bonus or to have some kind of specialized knowledge that will allow me to use a particular weapon? So when I was looking at the equipment, one of the things that struck me was grenades. Grenades seem to be a big leveler, and I'm... And, <laughs> <laughs> and that pun is intended, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, it seems to be a big leveler in the games because it's something that can be used to stop combat or at least slow it down. It can be used to lower the number of people you have to deal with at one time because if you smoke, okay, well, people aren't going to be able to fire at you because they can't see you, so they have to close with you. And if you're, if you're good, you can you know, 
run away. And when they start closing with you, that's when you start throwing down the, the BZ gas and the tear gas. And now, of course, they got something else to deal with. They close with you, and now they're in a big cloud of gas, and they're vomiting and, and falling down, twitching and, and, and crying. Okay, you know, and uh, most of these types of uh, this particular weapon, in the, in the case of D20 Modern, you only have to throw it against a, a, a square of the ground. You don't actually have to hit a target with it like a person. So it doesn't matter what their protection is. It doesn't matter if they're wearing, like, power armor, unless, of course, it's, it has its own air supply. But you don't have to worry about them having all kinds of great armor that you have to roll a natural 20 to hit. You just have to throw it on a square, and it goes off, and then they have to make saving throws to avoid uh, the effect of it. And use, if you throw enough of them down, they're going to fail one of those sooner or later. Oh, yeah. So I like grenades. I think grenades would probably be a great thing to have if you're playing a solo character. And most grenades have a burst radius, so you actually can affect multiple characters, which is actually very hard to do with even with a machine gun, because you usually get a minus in that for a machine gun, but a grenade, boom, and everything on that certain radius gets hit. As a solo character, you're almost always going to be running into situations where it's you, one versus many. So something that affects multiple people is a really good tactic. Mm-hmm. Trav, do you have something you want to say? Well, no, it's just that that hole when you're hitting a square, you know, it's it's what a defense of ten. Yeah, yeah. Most characters, solo characters, can hit that unless they have a stat which, you know, unless their dex is just pitiful. Yeah, they, yeah. And we already said that you should have a good dex. Well, yeah, and I mean, a DC ten area effect weapons for a solo character are fantastic. I mean, just even smoke right. grenades, and then of course. Stealth skills come into play. In Sarah's Rules, your target number is a four on, on wherever your, your throwing dice is. So, yeah, you can hit that target. And if you miss with a grenade, what happens? It, it doesn't land in the square you intended. It lands in the square next to it. It has like a, a, a five to ten square radius effect around it. Well, so what? You missed it by one square. It's still going to pretty much hit everything you're aiming at. You just have to make sure you're wearing the protective gear that makes you immune to the effect of that grenade. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, oh, yeah. <laughs> See? I think grenades are a great tool because they don't require any real skill. They're small. Uh, they're not terribly heavy. You can get them in the hand version or the thumper version or what, you know, under the barrel version for your main weapon. 20 millimeter and 40 millimeter uh, grenades. Ah, uh, yes. You can set them up in various locations with remote detonators so that if you don't need them, you don't have to use them. But if you do need them, they're there. Oh, don't forget, there's that new infantry weapon that's just being that's being field tested right now in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. It, it's a grenade launcher, but it's firing smart grenades. You, you target the wall, guys hiding behind, then you aim above it and fire it, and the grenade goes off behind it. Right behind it. So the guys hanging behind the wall, no cover. I like grenades a lot as far as something that can be used to discourage people from attacking you and also to hide your movements and even to cause, you know, if you set off a grenade at a uh, different location than when you're at, all the bad guys uh, are all going to go to that location, leaving you alone perhaps long enough for you to be able to do what you want to do. So using these kinds of devices tactically, I think is a really good idea. And we have remote detonators. We have fire and forget type weapons. If you're a, playing a, a game like, you know, Fringeworthy or Bureau 13, you're crazy not to take advantage of this kind of stuff. But if you do have to use a weapon, 
a standard gun or something like that. It reminds me of my Bureau 13 character, Pastor Gill. He wasn't a, a, a pacifist in any sense because he used to be a boxer. But they all said, well, if you're going to be in the Bureau, you need to train with a weapon. And he said, okay, fine. Give me the biggest gun you have. <laughs> and they're like, what? He says, yeah, if I have to fire it, I want it to be effective. So he got the, the biggest handgun that was in the game, uh, which was called the Foster 577, used depleted uranium rounds in it. Nice. You know, he referred to it as his door opener. He could fire that through an engine block. Didn't fire it very often, but whenever he did, when he hit, it would work. What? I'm not saying that was the best way of going. That was his particular take on it. I do think it would be a really good idea to use a weapon that is, uh, when looking over the weapons that were available in just the base D20 Modern book. Now, of course, there's the weapon locker that has all kinds of extra ones. But yeah. pretty much I think you'd want to go with a weapon that has as, as high a damage as possible. So an assault rifle like the uh, H&K G3, which does 2D10 damage. And if you have that burst fire feat, which unfortunately takes two feats, that means you can get an extra two dice of damage. So that's four dice of damage. And the D20 Modern game has a massive damage rule where anytime you take more damage than your constitution score, you have to make a roll, and if you fail it, you drop you drop unconscious and start dying. DC 15 fortitude save, yep. Oh, yeah. That's right. And in playing campaigns using the, the D20 Modern system, I have seen entire fields of opponents wiped out almost immediately because of that rule. Oh, yeah, well, that rule was made specifically to make combat more lethal, to show especially with guns, just how lethal combat can be, how with one shot you can be dropped. Now in D&D, they call it catastrophic damage, and it's taking 50 hit points in one attack. Right, which is really hard to do. Right, well, when you get into whipping around what I call mana from hell, fireballs, lightning bolts, whatnot, there's a good chance you're going to take 50 points in one shot with... Fistful of dice. Yeah. 1D handful, as we call them in our group. Uh, <laughs> my... <laughs> That's funny. I never yeah. heard that. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. That's like every roll with White Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to refer to it as roll all you got. <laughs> How many dice should I roll? I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> with, with D20 Modern... A teenager with a gun could take down a decent level character just if they roll bad and, you know, mess that massive damage threshold roll. So you want a weapon that can do as much damage as possible so that your average die rolls will add up to be more than their constitution score. Yeah. So that you'll trigger that situation where they have to make that massive damage save. Yeah. It's an automatic weapon, though it does have the option of one shot or three shots or full auto. It has that ability to be able to do this bursting so you could actually do 4d10 damage, which really increases your chances of pulling this off. And if you do need to do full auto, you got the full auto. It's there in the weapon. My favorite weapon for uh, people who had really bad accuracy in the original Tritech rules was the flamethrower. <laughs> it was a fire and then aim weapon. <laughs> but then you got me those special rolls. Okay, the bullet went through you. It went through the tank. Now, was that an incendiary round? <laughs> Oh. <laughs>
or what's the line from Iron Man? Uh, the best type of weapon is the weapon you only have to shoot once. <laughs> <laughs> right. Work for me, work for my dad, or work for me, work for America. It seems to be doing pretty good so far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it just reminded me with Bruce's comment about the one gun that Father Gill uses. And the thing is, in Bureau, you can actually get access to a smart weapon that gives you an incredible equipment bonus that you, you know, okay, I just point in this direction and pull the trigger. I don't even have to even look. It just knows what to shoot at. Oh, it's like that one gun in uh, the Fifth Element where he fires it in the opposite direction after he locked on the one guy and j- or on the dummy and it just ripped the dummy to shreds. It's yep. like bullets actually <laughs> bent back. <laughs> Those are smart bullets there, that's for sure. All right, how do we go off on this tangent? Well, uh, well it's not really a tangent because we were talking about equipment. What, what equipment right. would really help you as a solo character? And so we're, in this particular case, we were talking about weapons. Okay. Yeah. I think as a backup weapon, you should also have some kind of a handgun that you can hide. I mean, something that can is hidden in your equipment somewhere where it doesn't look like a weapon at all. It's also good to have lots of C4 and detonators that don't look like you know what they are. Your standard James Bond type loadout. And in games like Fringeworthy and Bureau 13, that's a gimme. I mean, you just simply have to request that kind of stuff, and it never ceases to amaze me how many players go out there and they don't take this stuff that just makes everything so much, well, not only so much more easier, but so much more fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, like the IDET watch, as always. I mean, right. got to have that. C4 tennis shoe. Right. Hey, let's not forget the shoe phone. But you don't need that. You got a smartphone, you know? Right, right. This is something I could see in Bureau 13, or if yeah. you're, you know, you find one of these in a fringeworthy world, although you have to be careful taking it to a world, a node that didn't support magic. But a bag of holding, I always found, was the greatest instrument for a solo character. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like that folding space that they used in the Mila Jovich movie, Ultraviolet. Right. She had literally like a whole weapons locker in her arms. Oh, yeah, Hammer Space. That's something you use in anime all the time. Bureau 3D actually does have that, the 13th pocket. Right. Pocket, you know, yeah. It holds about 50 pounds. You can have multiple on, a, on your field agent bag if you really want it. Right. I'm just wondering about that 13th pocket. Would that work on the fringe pads? It would have to be at a, a node that supported that kind of reality. Yep. Okay. We're assuming that it's powered by magic. Tremellern themselves fold space and do all kinds of dimensional kind of manipulations. It's quite possible for there to be a super tech pocket like that that the Tremellern have created. Hey, I'm going to say that being that it's an official tri tech game, it works on most nodes. <laughs> Just because. Well. We can say actually, it's, it's it's actually not it's not magic. It's technology of some sort. That's what I'm saying. But it's a, you know because it's a tri-tag product. I want it to work on most worlds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's up to the GM. Yeah, yeah, that's true. However, being able to carry like you know the equivalent of a motorhome full of stuff in in basically a pocketbook or a backpack. That is going to change the kind of adventures and, and the kind of challenges that you run into. If every time that you, the GM says, well, you need this, okay, it's right here. Right. That's going to change your missions a lot. No, no foresight is really necessary. It's not support. GMs have two choices for what happens when you get off that note that does support the 13th pocket or a bag of holding. One of two things happens. 
the pocket goes away and everything inside of it goes away. Boop, gone. And it's gone, gone. Right. And, you know, don't come back. Or everything in that pocket, everything in that bag of holding comes out. Mm-hmm. Either one could be equally bad, considering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, let's bring it down to something basic, you know, because we're going crazy with the pocket of, you know, the, the bag of holding <laughs> and such. A survival knife, you know, like the Rambo knife where you, you have a compass on the back and you open it up and you've got, like, fishing line and that kind of stuff in there. Fishing hooks and a lot of good stuff. Most survivalists will tell you that the knife is the ultimate item to have with you to begin with. And then this is a knife with other stuff in it. In games like Fringeworthy and, and Bureau 13 and then in, in Hardware Hinterland, you've got the template devices and things like that. There's lots of miniaturization. You may not have a 13th pocket, but there's no reason why you can't have a whole lot of stuff miniaturized and set into a single device that you're using. Oh, yes. Um, Bruce, D20 Future, if you remember, if you've seen that. Yeah. The gadget section has all sorts of modifications you can put on equipment right. to make it compact and miniaturized and combined. And I mean, it adds to the cost of the stuff. Sure. But if you're requisitioning it, you give it back when you're done anyways, barring you don't destroy it. Right. So, and yeah, there are rules for that. You can make all sorts of equipment for a solo campaign for your character to have. Right. The number one piece of equipment that I see used again and again in both Fringeworthy and Bureau 13 is the laptop. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, not only is it uh, your, your ultimate source of information, your encyclopedic knowledge, it's also very useful for creating documents uh, that you need for various guises. It's important for you to use as a presentation tool. Uh, they have a whole welcome to IDET thing that they use to show to natives of various worlds to try to get them to understand what IDET's all about, and especially to prove that they're actually from another world. The laptop, especially with the kind of storage that's available now on laptops, I mean, there's no reason for you not to have specific tactical information on practically any task you might want to do. I mean, you should be able to get that equipment plus two bonus on anything that you want to do just by whipping out the laptop and taking a couple of minutes to read up on the thing you're about to do before you do it so that your mind is fresh with that knowledge. Laptops are soon going to be uh, past safe. i just seen the uh, iPad 2. Small-scale laptops, they're going to go away. Uh, they're going to be replaced by tablets of all kinds. Okay. Ideally, I've always wanted to have a pair of glasses that would create a virtual display so that I could see something as big as a 46-inch television screen just by shining it into my eye at a, right, at a certain angle. You can buy one of those for $1,000 right now. Right. Well, money's no object in Bureau 13. Or in print for that matter, yeah. 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 Those types of things are available uh, even in a, a kind of a world like a hardwired hinterland because, again, you, you have – a lot of things that are primitive because you know they they're just people thrown around there, but there are also worlds out there like Noram and Magicost that actually does have really high tech devices or magical type devices that can do these kinds of amazing type things. Though when it comes to magic, uh, magic cost, people tend not to want to have magic because it's bad. <laughs> For the most part, I, I'm sorry. I'm kind of I'm kind of hazy on this good bad thing here. Egon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Egon. A lot of the magic you run into is cursed on magic cost. Well, I'll tell you the same thing I said to everybody in my campaign. A cursed item is just an item you don't know what it's really supposed to be used for. 
Actually, I have a better quote because I Mary, you, you mentioned this. The best way to find a cursed item is to nuke the nuke the site. Whatever is left intact is the cursed item. Well, that was always true of D and D. You couldn't destroy cursed items except very specific ways. All right, so we have this character who's going to be the solo. Th- We've already had a whole series of podcasts on surviving through good equipment choices. So we really recommend that everybody go back and review those podcasts before you actually start running a solo character. Just to kind of summarize here, is there anything that just jumps out at you besides the laptop, as I mentioned, that's really, I think it would be really important for a solo character to have, just for general use in either Bureau 13 or uh, Fringeworthy or other type games? Wait a minute. 50-foot rope and 10-foot pole. No, sorry. Yeah, no, actually, that'd be, that's something you worked in D&D. In this case, you can, get a, you can get a collapsing pole that you can carry in your pocket, pull it out, and stick it out to 10 foot. Oh, wait a minute, and, and, and 10 flasks of oil. Right, but, but wouldn't you rather, rather than 10 flasks of oil, would you rather have that wand of fireballs? Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's raise our vision a little bit here. What would be the kind of ultimate type devices you'd want your character mm-hmm. to have if you were playing a solo character? Ripley Mark One. The exoskeleton? No, no, it's a, it's a joke weapon created for uh, macho women with guns. Yeah, yeah. The Ripley Mark One is a takeoff from Aliens, where Ripley takes the grenade launcher, the assault rifle, and tapes them together and makes his weapon. The trouble is, and I, I use the Scotty rule for this one, the higher the technology, the easier it is to, to bollocks up the uh, the works. Well, assuming that it's actually mature technology, you know, so you're saying you'd want a weapon that did had a flamethrower and an assault rifle and a grenade launcher in it? That's the one that you think you'd want to have? Well, I'll add one more thing. I'll also add in a, uh, a less than lethal option as well. Well, the grenade launcher could fire a stun bag. Or stun batons, yeah, one or the other, yeah. Okay. I want the scanner from Star Trek. The tricorder? The tricorder. I want a tricorder from Star Trek. Yeah, that'd be that, great. That thing is fantastic. Yeah, it replaces your laptop. Basically, it's a laptop replacement. Oh, no, 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 no. It oh. does more than that. It can scan for life form. It can scan an object and tell you what it's made out of. It can, you know, I mean, that, that, thing, is, that thing is indispensable. It could scan all to find people on the other side doing like um, resonance scanning through the material of the wall. Right. Yeah, And that sort of thing would be available in a game like Fringeworthy if you get further along down the campaign or if you just happen to go to a world which has a lot of really high-tech devices. Yep. I would say the Tamelan dock box or its equivalent would be really great. I mean, to have something, some device that could be used to heal your injuries no matter what they were you know, as long as you get a chance of breather in order to use it. Right. Yeah. That would solve a lot of those problems. Anything else? You know, if a magic item, uh, I forget oh, I forget the name of it, but it was a cup that fills up with water. Ever-filling bottle, I believe it's called. Here's a flask, yeah, ever-full flask, yeah. Yeah. Because when you're trying to survive, the one thing you need more than anything else is water. Yeah. That seems kind of silly. It's like... Okay, great. I have a thing that fills up with water, but no, that's that that could be everything. Well, no, there's another magic item if you want to go that route. It's uh, Merlin's M-U-R-L-Y-N-D Merlin's spoon. Basically, you put it in an empty bowl and it creates this. Well, it's gruel, but it is nutritionally <laughs> complete. 
Uh, that's a good one. It sounds like what you really want in a game like Fringeworthy would be one of those nano-assemblers where you just simply program into it what you want and it busily pulls the atoms from the air and creates it for you in uh, a certain amount of time. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are in a lot of your cyberpunk type games where it's just a matter of having the right feedstocks and the right programming to be able to do it. Of course, if you have something like that nano assembler that can make anything, then of course it basically takes care of whatever your problem is. But if we if we assume that these things are a little bit more specialized, I think disguise kit that could create you know the equivalent of latex masks or has a wide variety of clothing type uh, options, hair, you know, facial hair, whatever, skin color changes, contact lenses, various teeth appliances. Those would be really good to have because that way you could change your identity relatively quickly and it'd be easier for you to fit in if, if for example, you went to a world where they were all Chinese and you're a Caucasian. Well, you know, with a proper application of these kinds of things, you could fit in a lot better. I would need a bucket of depilatory, though. <laughs> you can have a device that does depilatoring. Yeah, whatever. I'm just saying is that yeah. I think a good disguise kit is really good thing to have for any kind of of you need to have it on a team and certainly I think you'd need to have it on a uh solo adventurer. Hey, wait a minute. Going back into uh magic items, uh a ring of invisibility would be an ultimate item for a solo character to have. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, God, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. That is like a super, super item for a solo character. Or the high-tech version made out of metamaterials. is like yeah. some sort of cloak you wrap around yourself and you yeah, disappear. Yeah, holographic type stuff, yeah. Like like from Ghost in the Shell? Well, no, I'm, talk- I'm, t- no, I'm, talk- I'm, t- no, I'm talking about the metamaterials. This is actually real life. They're developing broadband metamaterials that are invisible and in multiple wavelengths instead of just one. Yeah, we're using that in my friend's running campaign right now. It's called a super ghillie suit. Uh, unless you're in really bright sunlight, in which case you kind of look like a, a shadow. If you're inside a hallway, you could be staying right next to somebody. You can't see them. They're perfectly camouflaged. It's always good to have senses that the other people don't have. So infrared goggles, various types of long-range camera lenses and parabolic mics uh, are always good to have for any kind of a, a game where you want to be able to do surveillance or get us some advanced information on somebody. A gas mask, I think, is really important, or some kind of breathing apparatus, because that way you can use those various types of grenades we were talking about. If Peter can have a tricorder, I want the life belts from the animated series of Star Trek. And I don't know what that is, John. Force field that allows you to survive in space for a short time or underwater and... A uh, bad atmosphere or whatever, so it would work on on grenade attacks. A personal force shield. Yeah, yeah, they had that in in Magnus Robot Hunter. Yeah, and they had the animated Star Trek where you had the little instead of drawing spacesuits, they just simply put a belt on them, hit a button, bang, they're in a self controlled environment. Having all kinds of reconnaissance stuff like bugs, cameras that you could leave in remote locations. Those are all really good things to have no matter what game you're playing because you never know when being able to find out what people are saying about you when you're not in the room can be a good thing. So now we have to ask ourselves, where in the campaign would this character would be best suited? If you're going to play a solo-type character, 
is this going to be a kind of character you want to play in the 1800s of Bureau 13 when they first got started? Or would this be a character that would be much more effective in modern day? In case of Fringeworthy, would you want it to be the early campaign or the middle or even the late campaign? What would be the, the advantages or disadvantages of each? I think if I'm going to play a solo character, I want mid-campaign. Because early campaign, my character's not trained enough or doesn't have enough experience to really strike it out on his own too easily. And secondly, um, I don't want to play it in the later campaign because now we're getting into so much advanced stuff that being by yourself could be too dangerous. So I, I like the middle campaign. I can see Gordon Conrad running people through the uh, portal the, the very first time and then saying, okay, there it is. 50 miles that way is is the alternate platform. You can get some water and food at, at, at this at this portal. You want to leave? Go. Some people might take him up on that point. Just go and just take off right then and there. Because you know, if you're going to leave on us, leave right now and save us some money. <laughs> you have no skills at that point. You, you in the in fridge worthy, and now you got to learn the hard way how to do things. Cat notes is not a good example because he actually was already fairly well experienced before he went out and did that. He was already an explorer. Yeah. He was an Arctic explorer, so he really understood how to survive. Yeah, so if you had made an explorer character, or the GM lets you make more advanced characters before you, you actually become fringeworthy, or find out you're fringeworthy, that may be an option there as well. Because campaign, I, I, when you're talking about camping levels, I'm thinking more of, in some game systems like, like D20, you really want to be at least, what, fifth or sixth level before you go and venture on your own, because you're at least halfway competent at that point. At novice level, you're, in any game, you're going to be you're gonna be chewed up. Well, uh, I mean, that that's going back to catering the campaign for the character. Yeah. Be a first-level character, because in Bureau 13, you can be a first-level character and end up as a Bureau agent, because the Bureau agent fee can be given any time. Yes. If you go through and you do the Day Zero Bureau 13 campaign, where you fight some minor supernatural menace, and you end up going through Bureau 13, you go through the training, you can do a zero-level campaign. Same with Fringeworthy. You could play a solo campaign. Okay, we're running you through. Okay, you're normal Joe. You found out to be Fringeworthy. You go through the training. Okay, this is your first adventure. We're going to run you through You know this adventure to get you started and go like that. I think any time, any part of the settings, if you if the GM plans well enough, he can run a solo campaign. Early, late, middle, uh, beginning of bureau, modern day. It, it's just on how the GM plans things out. You yeah. could do anything, given enough work. I think that's an excellent point, Trav. Yeah. But from a personal standpoint, and I'm not in any way uh, contradicting what you said, my personal thing as a player, I love gadgets. That's one reason I got into Bureau 13. It's one reason I got into Fringeworthy. I love running into alien cultures with all kinds of high-tech and, and freaky gadgets. You know, I love the, the James Bond-type movies for the gadgets more than anything else. So to me, playing the later campaign would be the best because they're going to have more gadgets. You're going to yeah. have all those great things like the ghillie suits and the, the nanobot uh, creators and the, the, possibly the anti-gravity belts and force fields and tricorders. and Organic technology, yeah. <laughs> and it's all there in the Bureau 13 campaign. God knows what's hidden in Bureau supply, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's one other thing I would like to have, be fringeworthy, a fistful of keys. 
You have a rainbow key. You have you know, basically one of each level. Oh, th- those keys. <laughs> yeah, crystal keys. I, I thought you were talking about like one of those gigantic you know, key rings. that Key rings, like a janitor. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought the same thing. No, a, fist, a fistful of crystal keys. They. C- oh, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. They come in handy. handy. I think if you were to have the other type of keys, you could certainly shoot away any stealth rolls as you're sitting there, ching, 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 you know. Yeah. <laughs> Or yeah, the say or the open lock skill would be really you know you'd get a heck of an equipment bonus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I much rather have adventures where it's not a question of equipment; it's a question of what tack do I want to take toward the success of this mission? Do, do I want to go in as a combat monster? Do I want to go in as an infiltration type agent? Do I want to brazen my way in through the front door? You know, as a face type character. That's the real question uh, I like to be able to say, what kind of adventure is this and what kind of tack do I need to make? And then give me all the equipment I need in order to make that as fun as possible. But I agree with you, John. I think that even though, yes, you could play a beginning character and do these things. And if you do, then yes, the GM has to tailor the adventure so that you can succeed. Yes. But when I think of characters who are, I could just plunk into pretty much any adventure and let them have a good chance of survival, then I am thinking of characters that are somewhere in the range of the 6th to 10th level characters. Yeah, I, I agree there too, yeah. As a starting point. That's one of the reasons why when we do demos, we set up all the characters as 6th level, because they would have a basic competency in the things that they were concentrated at. Someone who was a general-type character, a jack-of-all-trades, would probably have to be even higher. When I run my Savage Worlds playtest, the characters are all at a season level, which is 20 experience points in Savage Worlds. So they got some experience, and they got some extra skills, some extra abilities to, to deal with things. And when you get to, to higher level characters, it also gives you the option of concentrating on one particular thing while not being totally useless in all the other types of things that you might be able to do. You could be as someone who concentrates on being able to drive and be a, a vehicle expert. But at the same time, you still have the ability to survive in the wilderness. You still know how to find your own wounds and sew your own boo-boos. Possibly talk to that really hot-looking person down at the end of the bar when you go in gathering information as part of your mission. That's all pretty much I had. Does anybody else have some other things you want to talk about as far as this is concerned? I think we've pretty much covered the gamut on solo campaigns. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we missed something. And if we have, I really hope our very generous and much smarter than us listeners will bring it to our attention by posting a message up on our uh, comment boards up on uh, www.tritechsystems.podbean.com or over at tritechgamers.com in our forums or even on the Yahoo groups or even our Facebook page. We want to know what your better ideas are because, and we'll be glad to mention that in an upcoming podcast. So, even though we recommend that you have a group of good friends who are all working together to accomplish whatever mission that is in whatever game that you're playing, we still think there's lots of opportunities for solo play that uh, isn't lame, that actually is awesome and fun to do. And it's just a symphony of actions between your GM and yourself with a little bit of ideas to how to make your character as flexible as possible. 
There's a lot of things you can do. Is you, you should work with your system and maybe choose the best system for whatever task it is, whatever game you're trying to do. Because not always the best system is actually in the game, which we learned a long time ago here at TriTac Games. We hope that you play our games with whatever system that floats your boat and gives you the most fun. But if you can't play with a whole bunch of friends, we hope you still play because there's nothing more awesome than going out there and exploring the millions and millions of worlds that are out there on the Fringe Pass and the amazing adventures of Bureau 13 or the soaring skies of Hardware Hinterland or even whatever might show up outside your door in Weird Zone. Whatever the game you play, we hope you enjoy it and you let us know, and we hope you'll let us know how we can help you here at the TriTech Podcast. Have fun, and we'll see you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.